0: Oh, boy, I love this weekend. This is a big one for me. Thank you. This is my weekend to shine. This is the one where I feel the most comfortable uh, teaching God's word to you. If you're new for the first time and you're like, I don't really get it, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, is an avid hunter. And so when I applied for this job 13 years ago, I remember during the interview, and I think they were dead serious about this, they asked me, are you a hunter? That was one of the questions in my interview. And when I said no, there was these looks around the table like, I think we got our guy. (laughs) There were other people better speakers than me, but they all hunted. So this was kind of how I got the job. And so when I get to this weekend, I just just thank God for the opportunity uh, to be at this church. So happy deer hunting opener uh, to all of you. We are also in the middle of a series. It's called Picture Perfect Family. And the good news is that there is no such thing as a picture perfect family. That's good news for all of us because we know our families aren't perfect, and so we don't have to pretend. But we do serve a perfect God who's given us a picture of how he's designed families to operate. Today's message is titled Establish Healthy Habits. And I want to begin by asking a question and this isn't just for parents, this is for grandparents and singles, everybody who's in a family. What are those habits, what are those behaviors that your family does on a regular basis? And are they helping your family or are they hurting your family? A couple months ago I went to a Twins game with some friends of mine and the game went extra innings and so it got over really late. And so by the time I got dropped off at my front door, it was past midnight. And so I went up to the garage code, I punched it in, and the garage door didn't move. Now this is embarrassing because I later found out I was using an old code. But at the time, I thought, great, garage door's broken. So I walked over to the front door, I tried that, it was locked. So I rang the doorbell, hoping that my wife or somebody would wake up and come down and let me in, but nobody showed up. So I rang the doorbell three times, hoping that somehow somebody would hear it. But here's what you have to know about my sleep habits. I sleep with both a fan and a sound machine. And I specifically bought the fan because it was industrial grade and it was loud. All the reviews were like, it sounds like an airplane in my bedroom, it's too loud. I thought, perfect, exactly what I want. So I could have rang that doorbell 300 times and my wife never would have heard me. Other things that we can't hear include fire alarms, tornado sirens, and (laughs) nuclear missiles that hit our backyard. We're, we're, We're pretty insulated in there. But now it's past midnight and I'm starting to panic because there's a bear that lives in my neighborhood. I'm serious about this, my neighbors caught him on video. So on a last second whim, I thought, I'm just gonna check the sliding door in the basement. My kids are always going out to the backyard to play, leaving the sliding door open drives me nuts. So I walked around to the back of the house and there the sliding door was wide open. Any burglar, bear, or locked out dad could walk right into my house. Probably shouldn't have shared that story in front of thousands of people. Every thief in the state of Minnesota right now is like, let's find out where this guy lives, right? (laughs) I will have my doors locked tonight, alarm set, the whole deal. But here's my point. Our kids are in a habit of leaving the sliding door open. They do it on a regular basis. Maybe you have things like that. Where your kids eat Pringles at 5.30 when you're trying to get dinner on the table and it's become a collective habit. Those are kind of joking ones, but. We also have habits that are a little bit more serious. Some families are in the habit of yelling at each other, swearing at each other, calling each other names. They get stressed out, and that's just the natural pattern of behavior that everybody in the family falls into. Some families are in the habit of disengaging. So they have some conflict, and dad goes out to the garage to tinker, mom goes up and watches a movie, and we just don't talk about it. Some of you know what this is like. You grew up in families where you still haven't talked to your brother or sister about a major issue of conflict in 10 years. You've never talked to your dad or your mom about that one thing, and now it's been about 20 years. And you just kind of know, you just don't bring that up because we don't talk about things. That's a habit. Some of us are in the habit of enabling, always trying to make excuses for little Johnny, always trying to save little Johnny from his natural consequences. It's a habit. In his book, The Power of Habits, author Charles Duhigg says that every habit has four components and they are a cue, craving, response, and reward. Let me give you an example of this so you can kind of understand what he's talking about. Stress is a cue. It's actually a powerful cue in people's lives. And so many people, when they get stressed, it triggers something, and that's a craving. For some people, they start to crave something unhealthy like smoking, alcohol, overeating, overspending. For other people, they start to crave something along the lines that's more healthy like exercise or spending time with God. But when they experience stress, it's a cue for the craving, and then when they respond, they get their reward. In this case, at least momentarily, they feel a little bit less stress. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, why don't I just stop eating Doritos and start to exercise the next time I'm stressed out? But it doesn't work that way. Willpower is never enough. It's because these cravings and these responses have been almost wired into you since you were a kid. there's a certain way of dealing with stress or conflict that you've learned and it's become a natural response for you. For example, whenever I get stressed out, I want to get things in control. I feel stress when I'm out of control. And so when I get stressed, I want to control everything. So it's actually kind of comical. I will start to maniacally clean the house when I get stressed out. Clean it, organize it. I swear my wife stresses me out on purpose just to get me to clean the house. But at my worst, I'll start to try to control the people around me. So don't don't, don't talk there. You, You do this. You do this. Trying to control everyone and everything so I don't feel so stressed. Here's how this relates to your family. Every family has these cues. Every family deals with stress. Every family deals with conflict. And every family has patterns of how they behave and interact with one another. And those collective habits begin to form your family. Let me ask you, what are those habits in your family? And again, are they helping or are they hurting? One of the problems with habits is that oftentimes the results lag behind the action. What I mean is if I start to eat healthy, that doesn't show up on a cholesterol test two weeks from now. It's not like my doctor is going to go, your cholesterol's perfect. What have you been doing? I've been eating broccoli for a week. Wish it worked that way but it didn't work that way. If I were to start eating healthy, those results would show up much later, the success would lag. That same principle applies to our bad habits as well. Why would someone smoke knowing it increases their risk of lung cancer? Why would somebody eat unhealthy knowing it can lead to obesity and heart disease? Why would someone have sex outside of marriage or view pornography? knowing the emotional damage that that can do to any future marriage and relationship. Here's why, because it doesn't do the damage oftentimes right away. Usually you pay the price in the future. It's not till the next day or the next week or the next year that you start to receive the results of those habits. That's why in his book, author James Clear says this. He says, the costs of your good habits are in the present the cost of your bad habits are in the future. What he means is, if I'm gonna eat healthy, that's gonna cost me something right now. I'm gonna have to say, hey, I I don't want that cake, I'm gonna have some vegetables instead, that's gonna cost me something now, but I might get a reward in the future. The opposite is usually true for your bad habits. (laughs) Momentarily, you feel this sense of relief, like, oh, this feels so good, this took away my stress, this helped me escape. But in the future, you end up paying a price. Clear goes on a few pages later and he says this. He says, as a general rule, the more immediate the pleasure you get from an action, the more strongly you should question whether it aligns with your long term goals. What does this have to do with our families? Well, last year, I started to study this topic of habits. I became really interested in habits because we become what we do on a regular basis. And so I read several books on habits, including the book I just referenced, Atomic Habits. Fantastic book. But he writes that book to individuals, and I want to ask the question, how does this apply to our families? He also doesn't write from an overtly Christian perspective. And I believe God has a lot to say about habits in your family. For example, in 1 and 2 Kings, God warns his people about the dangers of passing on sinful patterns to the next generation. All throughout 1 and 2 Kings, we see verses like this one. It says, King Omri, son of Jeroboam, reproduced the bad life of his father and mother. Just think about that for a moment. Omri wasn't able to look at his father and mother and go, I'm not doing that. I'm not going down that path. I can see where that leads to. That leads to destruction, that leads to pain, that leads to hurt, I'm not gonna do that. Instead, he reproduced their bad life. How could that have happened? It says he was repeating the pattern set down by his father. Without even knowing it, there was a certain way of behaving, a certain way of leading, a certain way of acting. And Omri never realized that that wasn't the way God wanted him to live. He just took the pattern from his father and he followed it. In fact, in First and Second Kings, it, the pattern is usually bad king, bad king, bad king, and then at the end of the description about that king, it would say these words: "It would say he followed in the footsteps of his father." Anyone here today following in the footsteps of their father, for good or for bad? I mean, there are some ways that I have followed patterns that my parents have set down to me that have served me very well in life. But there are some of you who you are following in the footsteps. You are reproducing a life that God doesn't want you to reproduce. And I believe that God may want to use you to break that pattern. What are the ways that you've followed in the footsteps of your father and your mother and it's not a healthy habit it's not a healthy pattern. Thankfully in first and second kings we see people like Josiah. It says this about Josiah, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and he followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside from doing what was right. What's interesting about this is that David is not Josiah's father. In other words, Josiah had to say, I'm not going to live the same life my father lived. I'm not going to live the same life my grandfather lived. I'm going to go back earlier in the family tree to David because he lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord. There are some of you here today, I believe that God wants to use you to break a generational pattern of sin, to look at your family and go, I'm not going to do what my father did. I'm not going to do what my grandfather did. My kids aren't going to have to deal with that. I'm not going down the path of divorce. I'm not going down the path of addiction. I'm not going down the path of debt. God, would you, by your power, set me free from that pattern of generational sin? I believe that God can do that in your life. But that's hard. And it's hard because it takes some intentionality on our part. See, here's what successful families do. Successful families do consistently what others do occasionally. Successful families regularly attend church. They do consistently what others do occasionally, and that one habit helps raise kids who know God and know the difference between right and wrong. Successful families have dinner together on a regular basis. They do consistently what others do occasionally. In fact, some habits have been referred to as keystone habits. A keystone habit is a habit that leads to other good habits. Researchers have found that's what eating together as a family does. Eating together as a family leads to better grades, higher self-confidence, and all kinds of other positive attributes. But you don't notice it right away. It's not like little Joey's gonna come home tomorrow and go, I got an A on my science test. And you're like, what happened? You were a D student for the last five years. Well, we had lasagna last night. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But that simple habit over time will have a compound effect. And isn't that what we all want? Don't you wanna raise kids who are successful in whatever they do, who are confident in themselves and in God? Don't you want to have a family that forgives one another and loves each other unconditionally and communicates and speaks to one another with kindness? We all want that, but the question is how do you get it? How do you establish healthy habits that you can pass along to the next generation? Let me give you four steps. The first one is this you have to identify your unhealthy habits. About a month ago, I was dropping my kids off for school in the morning, and as my youngest son, was getting out of the car, I caught a whiff of something in his backpack. Smelled like a dead animal. I kind of started to gag. I said, what is that in your backpack? He said, I don't know. Got out of the car and walked into school. Walked right in. I picked him up after school, and when he got in the car, I caught a whiff of it again. But it was worse this time. I said, what is in your backpack? He said, a hard-boiled egg, I think. I said, how long has that egg been in there? He said, "Mm, since last week, I don't know. Our plan that night was to go to my other kids' cross-country meet, and then we were going to meet some friends at Chipotle for dinner. But when we got in the car after the cross-country meet, everybody was dry heaving. I mean, it was rolled down the windows. It had permeated the whole car. So I didn't know what else to do. When we got to Chipotle, I grabbed the backpack and brought it into Chipotle with me. So I'm walking past people. And they're like, "Oh, you know, what's going on at Chipotle?" And my plan was to take it into the bathroom and kind of clean it out. My friends are like, "This is going to be on the news." <laughs> Eaglebrook pastor defiles Chipotle bathroom. I mean, you can just see the headline. <laughs> but it was horrible. The egg was caked in between the crevices. Had a terrible time cleaning it out. But here's what I noticed: my son never seemed bothered by it. Every time I'd ask him, what is that smell? He'd be like, I don't know. And he'd just start talking about his day at school. He got used to the smell. That same principle applies to your family. There are certain things in your family that you've just gotten used to. You don't even smell it anymore. Remember the first time you brought a boyfriend or girlfriend home to meet your parents or to meet your family, and you were driving them home afterwards, and you got in the car, and they looked at you, and they went, What was that? You're like, what? Well, what? What your dad said or what your mom did. I mean, I can't believe that. I can't believe how you guys talk to each other. And you're like, I don't know. I didn't We talk to each other like that all the time. You don't even smell it, but other people smell it. Every family has these. How can you identify your unhealthy habits? Here's one way. What are the consistent pain points? So for you, maybe bedtime, it's like kids are getting out of bed, nobody brushes their teeth, mom and dad screaming their head off, you need a different habit. Or maybe you're noticing your son or your daughter and they're starting to lie about some things. You need to help them develop some habits that will help them grow closer to God in their life. You need some different routines. Maybe everybody in the family blames one another, doesn't take responsibility. You need to create an environment where taking responsibility is rewarded. And not only do you need to identify unhealthy habits, but you may need to make them difficult to do. My oldest son had a habit of walking into the pantry and he would eat a handful of chocolate chips. He had a big bulk bag of chocolate chips in there that my wife would use for cooking. And every time he'd walk into the pantry, he'd just take a big handful and toss it in his mouth. But then on his own, he thought, I don't want to be eating this way. I don't want to be eating this much sugar It's hurting my energy. And so on his own, he took the bag of chocolate chips and he put it on the top shelf where it was out of reach. Is there something in your life that you need to put out of reach? Some of us need to go home today and you need to take your alcohol and you need to throw it out, you need to put it out of reach. Some of us need to take an app on our phone, and you need to delete that app. You need to put it out of reach. You need to identify your unhealthy habits and then make them difficult to do. Here's the second step. You need to put healthy habits in place. So no sports team starts out the year and says, we don't really want to win the championship this year. We're hoping to finish fifth in the division. No Olympic athlete says, "Mm, not really shooting for the gold or even the bronze. I'd like to finish 12th. My point is goals don't matter as much as we think they do. You got to have goals, but goals do not ensure success. If they did, then everybody would get a gold medal. But goals don't ensure your success. It's your systems or habits that lead to success. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was a man named Daniel. And Daniel the kind of guy that you would want your kids to be, that you'd want your grandkids to be. High integrity. Daniel was one of those people who he would do what was right, even when everybody else around him was doing what was wrong. Don't you want a kid like that? Don't you want to be a family like that? How did Daniel get that way? He didn't just set a goal. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 6. says, Daniel went home, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees there three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. As was his custom, as was his habit. Daniel had a habit of spending time with God and that's how he became a man of integrity. Great homes don't just happen. Great families don't just magically exist. You have to put healthy habits into place, key word being put. Before I leave this point, let me give you one practical way that you can put some healthy habits into place. Take something that you're already regularly doing And then think of a good habit you want to start. And attach that good habit to the healthy habit that you're already doing. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say that you go, you know what, I want to start reading my Bible. I've tried to read my Bible multiple times, and I've just never quite gotten into it, and I always start to forget or I quit. Here's what you do. You take something you're already doing in the morning, such as drinking coffee. Everybody drinks coffee. And you say, I'm going to read my Bible while I'm having my coffee. No Bible, no coffee. You start reading your Bible, wouldn't you? All of a sudden, you would have developed a healthy habit in your life. My wife did this with exercise and TV. She said, if I'm going to watch TV, I'm going to do a little bit of exercise. Even if it's just a few push-ups or planks or whatever, she took something she wanted to do like TV and she attached it to something like exercise that she would be tempted to skip. Powerful tool for creating good habits in your life. But you gotta put them into place. Here's the third step and probably the most important. You have to ask when and where. So let's go back to Daniel again for a moment. It says, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. Daniel wanted to know God. He wanted a deeper prayer life. But he didn't just stop with that goal. He asked the question, when and where? He said, I'm going to pray in the upper room three times a day by the window overlooking Jerusalem. That's how healthy habits are formed. In 2001, some uh, British researchers were looking at how to help people develop good exercise habits. And they broke them down into three different groups. The first group, they said, hey, just tell us when you exercise. And then in the second group, they gave them some motivational reading material on the benefits of exercise. And the third group, they said, put together a plan of when and where you're going to exercise. At the end of the two weeks, the first two groups, 35 and 38% of the people exercised. Motivational reading material made no impact on their behavior whatsoever. The third group that had to put together a plan 91% of them exercised multiple times. James Clear in his book says this, people who make a specific plan for when and where they will perform a new habit are more likely to follow through. Think about a habit that you wanna start like a family dinner. Then you gotta say, when are we gonna do that? Where are we going to do that? That's how healthy habits are formed. Here's the fourth step. Set some who goals. So in the Old Testament, there was a man named Joshua, and he once said this, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had a vision for his family. Joshua, who do you want to be? When people see your family walk by and they say, hey, there's Joshua's family, what are they like? Joshua said, I want people to go, oh, well, they serve the Lord. What vision do you have for your family? I have a vision for my kids that they would love Jesus Christ. I have a vision for our family that we would love other people no matter who they are or what they've done. I have a vision for our family that we would stand on the truth of God's word, that we would do what's right even when everybody else around us is doing what's wrong. I have a vision that my kids would work hard. In fact, I was watching some YouTube videos a while back and I came across this video of a kid whose chore it was to take out the garbage. Had to do this every week, but it was really windy that day He was not to be denied, take a look. I love that kid. I mean, he got knocked down. He was up in two seconds. He was right back at it. He wasn't going to quit. I'm curious who took that video, though. I feel like his mom and dad are just like, come over here, honey. Watch this. <laughs> a few months ago, our Bob Merritt, our senior pastor, was in a message. He was talking directly to millennials. And he was kind of on a rant, and he was saying things like, you know, don't think you're going to get wealthy by being a YouTuber, don't think you're gonna get wealthy or successful by being a gamer. You need to work hard. You need to develop skills. A little bit later in the message, he said, you know, some things in life are just boring. You know what's boring? Work. Work is boring. My 14-year-old son leaned over to me and he goes, not if you're a YouTuber or a gamer, it's not. <laughs> Now, I don't know if he has any work ethic whatsoever, but I feel like his wit is gonna carry him through life. (laughs) But don't we all want that? Don't we all want kids who work hard, who love God and love other people? Don't we all want a family where we forgive one another and give each other grace and care for one another? We all want that, but it takes intentionality. It takes healthy habits. My nine-year-old daughter was playing with her brothers a while back, and she felt like they were being mean to her. We have an 11-month-old girl, and so there's reinforcements on the way. But right now, my nine-year-old daughter basically has three brothers. And and there are times when as siblings, they kind of just have their natural moments, and, and they fight. And so she felt unloved and left out. And so she went up to her room and slammed the door and got into her bed And then she did something that I hope she will do for the rest of her life when she sat. She opened up her Bible. And maybe this was a coincidence, but I believe it was the providence of God. She started reading a story about two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And Rachel was the pretty one who got all the attention for her looks. And Leah wasn't as pretty and didn't get as much attention. And Rachel's husband loved her, and Leah's husband didn't as much, and they had a hard marriage. And Rachel was always her father's favorite, and Leah could tell. And so Leah felt unloved and left out, and in the storybook Bible, here's how it describes what she was feeling. It says, Now when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter whether or not her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her. With a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It pains me to think about this, but my daughter's gonna go through heartbreak in life. She's gonna have a relationship end, she's gonna have health problems, friend problems. And my wife and I are not always gonna be there to help her through that. There may be moments where we have died and moved on, and it gives me so much peace to think that in those moments, my daughter has a habit of opening up her Bible and saying, God, would you speak to me? Would you encourage me? If I could have everyone in this church do one habit, I would say that you would get in the habit of reading God's word every day. That every day you would say, God, I want to know you. I want you to speak to me, encourage me, help me find my identity in you. Do you know the never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always-forever love of God. See, there are some of us here today who you feel left out. You feel left out with your friends. You feel left out at school or work. You feel left out in your family. There are some of us who feel unloved, It's amazing how successful you can be in so many areas of life and then have these moments where you go, nobody cares. Nobody loves me. And I want you to know today that Jesus Christ loves you with an unbreakable, always forever kind of love. And so today we are going to celebrate communion with one another. communion is many things, but it's a habit, it's a routine that we have been celebrating for thousands of years in the church. It was instituted by Jesus Christ himself. On the night before he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then raised up a cup and he said, this is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. When I take communion, I don't just kind of rip it open. But I spend a moment confessing my sins to God. And I say, God, would you you forgive me? And then I thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus Christ paid a penalty for me that I could not pay for myself, that you could not pay for yourself. And because of what he did, we can have grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. Spend a moment thanking God for that. And then I invite you to just ask God, God, is there anything you want to say to me? Maybe it's about a habit in your life or your family. Maybe it's about something else. But just to invite God to speak into your life for a moment. As all this is going on, our band is going to be playing behind us and then we're going to stand and sing a final song that just says, you know what? If the whole world worships God, so will I. That God will never leave you behind. That he loves you with an unbreakable, always forever love. So at this time, if you're on the aisle, you can begin to pass down the elements as we celebrate communion with one another.